If you have your Bibles with you, a book Bible or your electronic device, would you turn to today's scripture reading, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spice they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the, from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at all that had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Siang, for reading God's word to us today. Um, many of you who have been a part of GBC for some time know that Siang has a special ministry to me and to all of us, because Siang is the primary caregiver for our dear Grandma P. And it has occurred to me that in our aging population here in Singapore, that increasingly we are going to struggle with the care of the elderly we love. I and my ministry is actually a product of others who have loved my parents while I have been away. And I suspect that there are many of you here in this room today who are also serving as the primary caregivers for your parents or loved ones. And so before we go to God's Word today, I'd like for us to just spend a moment of thankful prayer for those who serve us in this way. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we do thank you for the way you have so well seasoned our world with those who continue to love with tenacity and perseverance. We thank you for those who care while others work, who love while others are absent, and we pray that you would grant them special strength. May they know your abiding pleasure upon them. 
And may they know the strength that they lend to others, not just the one that they are loving, but also to those that love the ones they are loving. God, strengthen them. Help them to persevere in grace and in mercy each day. We're so grateful for them. And God, as we now prepare to hear your word, I pray that you would make our hearts open and alert. And I confess, O oh God, there's not even one person in this room who would benefit from the opinions of a foreigner. But we are desperate to hear from you today. So I pray that you would abide with us and in your loving care, make your word plain to us. Find in us hearts willing to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know this is a bit of an odd title for a message, and some of you may even resent me just a little bit for bringing this up at all. But I suspect that everyone sitting here has from time to time been the victim or the beneficiary of a promise, an empty promise. We live in a world of empty promises. I looked it up. An empty promise is a promise that either is not going to be fulfilled or a promise that when fulfilled has no real meaning. You know, sometimes uh, we feel the victims of empty promises. In my world, in my nation, our politicians sometimes give us empty promises, particularly in my place, your health care is free, which means I will pay for it with my taxes. Our neighbors just to the south of us, they received a promise, Mexico is going to pay for it, which means they're going to pay for it with their taxes. An empty promise is a promise that either will not be fulfilled, but, or if it's fulfilled, is, is not that meaningful at the end of all things. Even, you know, sometimes inanimate objects will give you an empty promise, like my fridge last night. I, I was singing in the choir, a long practice, Esther. And my throat was begging for medicine, meaning ice cream. And I went to my freezer and opened it up, and there was an empty promise. It was a box, clearly marked, assorted Magnum Mini. And I reached my hand in, and it was empty. It was an empty promise. Promised me ice cream, and it was empty. Even brothers especially older brothers. Now, I know you think this is going to be another illustration about Hamish. I hope he never comes here. <laughs> Even brothers can give empty promises. Like the, the brother who promised his little sister, I will make your bed for a week if you just do the dishes for me today. And then the following day, she came up to me and said, hey, you promised you'd make my bed. It's not made. And now mom blames me for not making my bed. I said, I, I decided to change the promise. Instead of making your bed for a week, I decided I won't slap you for a week. That was an empty promise. She was not thrilled. I actually did research. In fact, I spent way too much time this week researching the top 
seven empty promises on Google. Aren't you glad that we do this kind of research? Number seven, I will pay you back next week. Or even, I will pay you back. It's a promise that often does not come true. Or it comes true in such small increments, it doesn't benefit you that much. Number six, I'm busy right now, let me call you back in five minutes. Okay, guilty, I'm just saying guilty. The, the true part is I'm busy. And, and then the other true part is I'm forgetful. So, so if you're waiting five minutes for me to call you back, maybe, maybe give me a day to remember. And then I'll call you back. Number five, let me give that some thought and I'll give that back to you. Well, let's be honest, we're in church because we don't really say that. What we say is, Pastor, let me pray about that. Meaning, I'll give it some thought. I really don't want to do it but this is a sanctified way of making me feel spiritual for giving you an empty promise. I'm not going to really do it. Just letting you know, Ollie, that's what it means. Then this one I love, let's keep in touch, which means we are never going to see each other again, but we might be Facebook friends, <laughs> meaning we're not really going to keep in touch. Number three, I promise you will never regret this, which is what the guy said to me just before I bought a 1970 Triumph GT6. Never buy a Triumph that was made in England in 1970. Sorry if you're British. No, it was an awesome car, but it broke down every time Sherry got into it. And it broke down before there were any handphones. It made my marriage difficult. I did regret it every single day until I sold it. Number two. I'm never going to, just fill in the blank, again. I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to smoke again. I'm never going to gamble again. I'm never going to jump from that high again. People with risk-taking, addictive personalities often make this empty promise. I'm never going to play that video game again until the next time. And number one, most tragic, most common empty promise, according to Google, I promise to love and cherish you until death do us part. My culture, the culture of the world, has trained me not to trust promises made. In fact, many of us might agree with Jonathan Swift who said promises and pie crusts are made to be broken. And yet, we come to Luke chapter 24 when God leaves an empty promise that crushes my culture and turns the world upside down. So first, an unfulfilled expectation, as Shung read for us so beautifully. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Now, it, it doesn't mean that this was 72 hours later. It means that all of Friday had passed. All of the Sabbath, Saturday had passed. Now we were into the first day of the week, Sunday and very early, they came 
to the tomb with the spices that they had prepared. Now, who are those they? We actually have to step back into chapter 23 to discover that they were women who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared the spices and the ointments. All of this they did on Friday in an urgent fashion. Why? Because the Sabbath was coming and preparing ointments to embalm the body would have been work and against Jewish law. Who were these women? They were Jesus' personal caregivers. They were obligated by the promise of affection, even after he was dead, to love and care for his remains. And so as early as they could, as soon as the Sabbath day was over, as the sun was rising, they were already moving toward that tomb. These women followed him since his ministry early days in Galilee. They were his primary caregivers, and they were women. Now, it's not that they had a good plan, because Mark's gospel will remind us that on the way to the tomb, they suddenly realized, whoa, um, who is going to roll that stone away for us? In fact, there's the other issue of those armed guards and the tomb is sealed. They didn't really have a plan. Perhaps as they were rushing, they may have been putting a bit of myrrh under their noses just to beat back the stench of the corpse that was laying in that tomb. But they didn't have a plan except to love well. That was the promise they desired to fulfill. And so they arrive and they find something surprising. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. It was an unfulfilled promise. The promise of the tomb where they might go in and in obligation to their deep affection, care for his remains. It was empty. They went in and looked. Why did they go in and look? Because they did not know. They did not remember. They did not think, okay, we're just going to go in so we can act like we're surprised. No, they were surprised at this unfulfilled expectation. And then secondly, we see in verses 4 through 8 an unexpected remembrance. Um, just verses 4 through 7. While they were, what? Perplexed. Not saying to one another, of course. But while they were perplexed, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Two things. First of all, that word dazzling means astroglow. It, it was so bright, they couldn't look at it. And, and notice that the men weren't coming out of the tomb. They were stepping back, looking at the empty tomb, and suddenly this brilliant glow beside them, as if the men were just standing there 
looking inside with them, and they fell to their faces on the ground because they realized something from heaven has come down and is standing next to us. And then they speak. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered unto sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And then in verse 8, everything changes. And, And this is really important for those of us who are living with the bitter bile of empty promises. Verse 8, and they remembered his words. And they remembered his word. Verse 8 changes everything. When vows are broken, when dreams are blurred with bitter tears, when promises seem empty, Everything changes when remember his words. And this is why at GBC, we are constantly challenging one another. Let us steward the voice of God. Not just read about his words. Not just memorize his words. But let his words seep so deep into us that they come leaking out in our behavior. In every behavior, when we remember his words, it changes everything. And why does it matter? It matters because we today live in a context spoken of by the prophet Amos. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine in the land Not a famine, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. It is my prayer at GBC that we will never be known for our music. I I pray that we will never be known by the personality of those who preach his word. I pray that when people think of this church, they will know that we are a people who remember the word of the Lord and are changed by it. In that tomb, they did not find what they were looking for. This is good news when God gives us what we're not actually looking for. I'm not sure why you're here today. I mean, I mean, maybe even some of us are here just to, you know, fulfill our obligation to religion. This is, this is a big holiday for us who call ourselves Christian. Of course, you know, we, we've got to, to be there. Maybe some are, are thinking, maybe I wonder what's happening. What kind of music there will be at Grace? Will the choir sing? Will there be a light show? Maybe you're looking for something, but I'm saying that God is good. He's better to you because He gives us what we're not asking for. He answers prayers we are not praying. And in this moment, those women, those primary caregivers didn't 
get what they were looking for. Instead, they got a remembrance of His Word. Not um, looking for um, acts of love to satisfy the measure of comfort I need to express my affection. Not words that would establish a new religion, but words that led to life. And so when they remembered his words, though they expected the stench of death, they heard words of life. And so returning from that tomb, verse 9, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest, which means great, right? Not so great. I would have fixed this, honestly, if I was writing the Bible. I would have got better witnesses The problem with these witnesses is they were uncredentialed. I'm not saying they weren't qualified, because in order to be a witness in court, you you have to have seen something, you had to have been there when it happened, you had to have heard something. If you did, then you're qualified. These women were qualified, but they were uncredentialed. And now it was. Mary Magdalene, oh, you know her. She's that crazy woman. Not just one demon, she had seven demons, and you know, these things can come back. It was that woman, Mary Magdalene. Oh, Joanna, she was something because her husband worked in the court of King Herod. He was the steward of all the slaves. He was the head slave. Oh, he was a slave. So she's not that awesome. And and then there's Joanna, mother of James the Younger, meaning James Jr. We're not sure all of who they were. Do you remember that this was a day, first century, where there was no women's suffragette movement? They didn't have the right to vote, right, these women. They couldn't even be a witness in court. Why? Because they were women. They they were uncredentialed because they lacked that Y chromosome that somehow made them human beings in the first century. So so honestly, if if you were trying to start a movement, if, if you had any kind of strategy You probably wouldn't want to start with women in the first century. And we see how the apostles, by the way, that term apostle, a sent one, is one to send in order to bear witness. What were the apostles doing? I don't know. They were in a room somewhere. They weren't bearing witness of what was happening in the tomb. They were gathered together, maybe plotting their strategy. And these women were so insignificant that, you know, Luke, just like, okay, then, then the other women, you know, I, I, I don't remember their names. Why did the Holy Spirit leave this in the text of the Bible? When a guy smart like me would have changed it, fixed it, you know, make, make the King Herod go walking up and blazing angels show up and, whoo, he has this conversion experience. He has influence. Or maybe Pilate, you know, goes to make sure his you know, guards are there watching. Let, let him be the first one to see the open, empty tomb. Let him repent. Let that story be told. You know that would start a movement. That would be much better, right? But 
But here's the good news. God doesn't need credentialed witnesses. The resurrection doesn't require credentials. It just requires that it be true. That's, that's all. That it be true. And so these apostles, while these dedicated women were trying to figure out how to get in the open and empty tomb, while they were running back, these men, you know, together, were they plotting some Messiah strategy? If they were, this wouldn't be the plan. Jesus, dead no more. And the first witnesses, the first evangelists of this gospel were women because God is not Ian. And are you grateful? And from these women, the conviction was so obvious. This promise held by the empty tomb, this empty promise, it is simply this, that we may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and by any means possible attain the resurrection from the dead. That is what Grace and Lloyd were doing in this watery grave this morning. They were giving testimony to the gospel message that they believe it's possible to know Him and the power of His resurrection. They believe that it's possible to become Him like His death so that they might be resurrected like Him. I just checked twice. They're not there. That's a powerful truth of the Christian witness. That's why we grieve differently at funerals. Because we believe then the power of the resurrection, the grave will one day be empty and there will be an Easter reunion. This was the desire, no, the conviction of these early witnesses. And that is what set apart these Christian, these Followers of the way, the truth, and the what? The life. That's what set them apart from every other religious zealots the world had ever known and that the world has ever seen. Because religion has demonstrated that its followers will actually be willing to kill for a lie. But honestly, who will joyfully die if it's a lie? And yet, these witnesses, all but one in that room, even the reluctant men witnesses, all of them joyfully gave their lives for this truth. He is alive. Why would they do that? 
Like, if it was just a scam at some point, would you not just say, okay, just joking, um, I get it, not even possible, but they could not, they did not, they just died. Why? Because they had the hope of the resurrection. They believed that they could share in his sufferings and so would share in his resurrection. And so even today, even in contemporary Greek, I'm not talking about Bible Greek, but the contemporary Greek word for testimony, the contemporary Greek word for witness is martis, which in English is what? Martyr. Because that is the price that was extracted by the joy of the resurrection. And yet, darkness could not snuff out the joy and the life of the resurrection. You see, none of, none of them, not the women, not Peter, not one of them went to that tomb expecting hope, expecting rancid flesh, certainly, expecting the stench of death and sweaty guards, sure, but not, not hope, not life. And yet so profound was their encounter with that empty promise. So profound was their interaction with the resurrected Christ that it changed them. They lived with purpose. They died with joy because they knew and believed that the perishable had put on imperishable. They knew that the mortal had put on immortal. They knew that death had been swallowed up in victory. Perhaps you're here today and you are a believer. Perhaps you consider yourself like those first century believers, a follower of the way, a follower of the truth, of the life, meaning life is a person and his name is Jesus. You follow him. So here's the question I'd like to leave you with. If you're a follower of life whose name is Jesus, what are you living for? I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking you. Yes, I am asking you. Why are you right now breathing? What purpose is there? I mean, if your position in glory is secure, if you believe right now God has prepared a place for me, He's been working on that mansion since creation began, it is so far greater than the place I live in now. If that is what you believe, what do you live for? Why has He left you here? Friend, He's left you here so that every day, every moment, you could be a martyr.
And here's some better news. Nobody's going to kill you in Singapore for sharing the joy of life. You might have to decide to endure a bit of ridicule. You, you might have to decide to be ostracized by some of your better friends who find it awkward when you start talking about resurrection while you're having your lunch, when you're taking your break at the office. But the question the empty tomb leaves us with is what are we living for? And perhaps there are some of you here today who, you know, you're not believers and, and we're delighted you're here. We're, we're grateful that you've lent the Lord and us a bit of your Easter Sunday. And perhaps if you're not a believer, actually I don't think it's that complicated. I, I, I think if you're, if you're not a believer, it just begins right here. In this huge universe, and, and just as God would have it, on the way to church, I was listening to the BBC, an astrophysicist was talking about the universe, and he talked for about 30 minutes. I had no idea what he was saying until he said, to be honest, we know nothing about the universe. So it starts here. You're, you're educated. You're sharp. You're, you're smart. Do you know everything? about this universe. Is it possible there might be something you don't know? Some mystery you have not solved? Is it possible in the greatness of this universe there is somebody you haven't met? I'm going to invite us to bow our heads here. And this is not my time. This is your time to be with God, to speak openly in your heart to this God of the universe. The one who, if you believe the Bible as I do, spoke everything into existence. If you're like me, if you're like this pastor who committed to the Lord years and years, decades ago, you need to come with him, or to him, excuse me, and say, God, uh, sorry. I've been so busy about things that don't really matter. Everything I'm anxious about will not matter in 50 years, may not matter in five seconds. God, I'm sorry. Maybe you've allowed in your own life dead spaces to grow. Friend, would you allow the spirit of the resurrection God to fill all those dead spaces. 
And then if you're here today and you're not a believer, let me encourage you. God does not expect blind faith from you. He is willing to show himself faithful. So if in your own heart you would be willing to say to him, Oh God, I've been doing this on my own and I am tired. If you're real, then forgive me. Come to me. Show yourself to me. And I will follow. Father God, we're grateful that you are the true and living God. We're grateful that you today, in this moment, saturate the spaces of this building and you hear the prayers of all whose hearts are crying out to you now. God, we thank you that you also answer prayers we don't know how to ask. In your grace and in your mercy, you give us things we're not even looking for. So God, we invite you to be the Lord of the universe right now, today, on this Resurrection Sunday. Send us from this place with purpose. Do this not so that we could be great, but so that your name, your name would be great in our hearts, in our families, in this church, and in this nation. We pray this in the name of the God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, let's rise as we respond to God's word in praise. Let's